Welcome, welcome to episode six of Vino with Pino. And no, that's not a double sentence. My dog's name is Pino. This is the podcast where we talk about wine and sharing your life with a dog. Today's wine is a California Chardonnay from Pillar and Post. It is a Sonoma Coast Chardonnay, 2019 vintage. Fun fact, I used to hate Chardonnay, and that was really because I had only had one kind of Chardonnay. Chardonnay as a grape is very versatile, and that means that the winemakers have a lot of options with it. So styles of that wine can be very different. In America, typically winemakers use oak in some way during the winemaking process, and Chardonnays will often go through malolactic conversion. So that means that these wines have a fuller body, they have that buttery flavor in your mouth, and I just was never a big fan of them. I expected that from a red wine. I didn't really expect it from a white wine. I liked the crispness of a Sauvignon Blanc way better. As I've grown, my palate has changed, and I do recognize that there's a time and a place for wines like that, but what I have learned over my drinking years is that Chardonnay can be super different in the United States, in the new world, in the old world of wine, everywhere. Historically, in France, you'll have that crisper Chardonnay wine. If you've ever tried Burgundy wine, that's Chardonnay specifically. And then Chablis is the coolest part of Burgundy. So it's considered to make the best expression of Chardonnay in Burgundy and it has a bit more of a crisper flavor to it, given that it's a cooler climate. But in somewhere like Sonoma, the Sonoma Coast in California, you are going to have a warmer climate, and it's going to have a little bit more riper fruit flavors to it, a little bit more peachy, stone fruit, and even in a warmer, warmer climate than California, you could get a little bit of a tropical flavoring to it. This Pillar and Post is one of our family's favorite wines. We always have it in our cellar, and honestly, I think it's because it's a screw top. My family is a big fan of screw top wines, and there is a big stigma on screw tops. Having a screw top does not mean that a bottle of wine is a lower quality. There's actually a cork shortage going on in the world. So screw tops are perfectly fine. There's just a stigma around them. Honestly, they're amazing if you're not going to finish the whole bottle of wine. It's so much easier to store a screw top wine after it's opened, and it's so much easier to store a screw top wine before you've opened it because if you have a wine that is corked, it should always be stored on its side. Otherwise, the cork can dry out and then air will get into your bottle, where with a screw top, you can store it sideways or standing up. You don't have to consider that aspect of your cork drying out. But yes, it's a staple in our house. I love it. Okay, I'm going to take a sip of it. I already know what to expect, but I just want to drink it. Mm, yeah. And I like the Pillar and Post Chardonnay because it does have that buttery flavor that you get after wine goes through malolactic conversion, but it doesn't have like a huge buttery full body. I would say that this is more medium bodied and that's just a personal preference. I love a huge full bodied red 
And I think that there's a time and a place for a full-bodied white. I just like a crisper flavor to my white wine. That's, but that's personal preference 100%. So that's that. I'm going to keep drinking this because it's yummy and why not? But jumping into the dog portion of today's podcast, I thought I would share, I think, the five lessons, well, five of the many, many lessons that I have learned since taking Pinot home July 2020. So we've been together for almost a year. I'm recording this on May 3rd, so actually in a month and a day, I will have had Pinot for a whole year, which is insane. This year went by so fast and I've learned so much through our time together, but these are just five lessons that when I sat down to record this podcast, I didn't have a one super topic that was screaming at me to do today, but I was feeling really reflective. So lesson number one would be that communication is a skill we do not spend enough time developing. As humans, I think we rely way too much on the English language And forget about all the other aspects of communication, such as body language, tone, facial expressions, all these things that you discount by using your words and using logic. You know, dogs don't have logic in the way that we do, and they don't understand English. So you have to figure out what your dog is picking up on you. I think the best example is I've taught Pino to wait before leaving the apartment. So the door can open, but she won't go running out of it. And I thought that she was responding to me telling her, okay, you can leave. I use the term okay when I walk through the door. But there were a few nights that I forgot to say, okay, but as soon as I got about one step away from the door and looked back at her, she was moving. So what she really got trained to was my body language. Even though I didn't say the word, she knew it was coming. In the same way that she wasn't lying down when I said down only, I needed to also point to the ground and say down because unconsciously when I was teaching her down, I had always done that. So just paying attention to what your dog's paying attention and how they're communicating with you has taught me so much more on just all of the little things that we do when we communicate with a human being, with an animal, and just the way that, you know, you can't expect somebody else to communicate in the way that you communicate and to adapt to your communication style. You need to be paying attention to what others' communication styles are and how your message is being received And then figuring out that the best way that the two of you can come to a mutual understanding. And that kind of leads into lesson number two, which is nothing is linear at all. Pino learned to sit in a day, but then two weeks later, she never wanted to sit. One week, she loved her crate. The next, she wouldn't. You know, everything is a dance. You go a few steps forward, a few steps back, a few steps sideways. And everything can change on a dime. Puppies are like children in the same way that her favorite toy today might be the thing that scares her tomorrow. And you just have to kind of learn to roll with it a little bit, understand what your end goal is, and then readjust as you keep learning together and practicing these skills that you've taught her because the training of a dog never ends. And I actually heard it, I think it was on the Doggist podcast, that they were talking to a trainer who said that she doesn't like to use the word training because people assume that training of a dog has a final point 
she likes to use the word practice. A dog will always have to practice. In the same way that if you play piano, you have to practice. If you play guitar, you have to practice. If you're a photographer, you have to keep taking pictures. You know, these are all skills that we can, and I'm using air quotes here, master, but you have to keep practicing them. Serena Williams didn't learn how to play tennis and then only play tennis at major tournaments. No, she plays tennis every single day. So yes, nothing is linear. Lesson three, I would say that no opinion is 100% correct. There are a million decisions around having a dog and a million different paths that you can take in the way that you share your life with your dog. I mean, just listen to the previous episode about walking. Who knew you would have 20 decisions to make about taking your dog on a walk? There are so many different training philosophies and food brands and food types and types of crates and how people think that you should share your space with the dog. Should the dog be all out on furniture? The truth is that no opinion is 100% correct. Not even yours. Someone else is going to think you're wrong. You're going to think someone else is wrong. But as you share your life with your dog, you'll figure out what your structure is, what your life is like. And it's not going to be identical to anyone else's. It's going to be yours. Lesson number four, I think, would be that unconditional love makes everything worth it. Being responsible for another creature is not easy. Whether that's a fish... Okay, well, fish might be easy. That was a bad example. Okay, whether it's a cat or a dog or a baby or a sibling or a parent, it's a lot of responsibility. You make sacrifices for it. You make adjustments to your life for it. But with a dog, you get unconditional love back. And just that wiggly butt running towards you whenever you walk home or just that pure joy of every moment that they catch you on the other side of the room you know when they disappear for a minute or you go to the bathroom and come back and they're so ecstatic to see you but you were literally gone for 60 seconds and your heart just melts or if they fall asleep at your feet or on your lap or jump into your bed to curl up into you and cuddle those little moments make all of the frustrations of that non-linear and making decisions about how to share your life and never knowing if you're making the right decision or any sacrifices, adjustments that you make when you experience those little moments of unconditional love, it's all worth it. It's so worth it. And then finally, lesson five, anyone can become a morning person. If I can become a morning person, anyone can. And I will preface this by saying that just because you get a dog doesn't mean you have to get up at 6 a.m. every day. Well, you do when they're a puppy and they need to go out to the bathroom constantly, but lifelong they don't. Pino was sleeping till about 8, which is a good time. Except that's seven days a week. So, you know, those weekend nights where you used to stay out till 3 Yeah, that's a lot harder when you're getting up at 8. But we've been in a pandemic, panorama, whatever, for a year. So there hasn't been a whole lot of those nights. But dogs are adaptable. I mean, 
I know people that have dogs that stay out late and then their last bathroom trip is at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. and then they sleep in. I've had to become a morning person in the last few months especially, but that's more because the place that we're currently living in gets very, very hot. So if I want to take Pino for a walk, I have to do it early in the morning before the sidewalks are too hot or there's just too much heat out in the world. And the easiest way to do that is to just get up and go. But I've actually found that I enjoy it. The days do seem a lot longer, but you have a lot more time then to get everything done. You know, her main exercise is done by 8 a.m. We're back. And it's 8 a.m. and I've already walked two miles, two and a half miles. And then it's time to start what I need to get done for the day. You know, I can leisurely have some breakfast and be on my computer by 9 a.m., which before it was really hard to wake up and be online by nine and starting my day efficiently. So I think that's been really beneficial for me. It has opened up a lot more time in my day for different things like working out and being more effective and getting to do cool projects like this podcast. But I was not a morning person. I was actually really a night owl. And I know that dogs adapt to that. And I know people that have dogs that have very different schedules than I do. But I want to say, if you don't think you can become a morning person, you can. You have it in you. I believe in you. (laughs) You might have a few less drinks every night, but that's also probably good for your health. I say that as I drink wine, but you get my point. (laughs) So I'll wrap it with bullet points. My five lessons were communication is a skill we do not spend enough time developing with humans or canines. Nothing is linear. No opinion is 100% correct. Unconditional love makes everything worth it. And you can become a morning person if that is how life plays out. Oh, and go try Chardonnay from all different places because I promise you if you have a Oregon Chardonnay, a California Chardonnay, a French Chardonnay, they will taste drastically different. And I think that is the beauty of the grape. So I implore everyone to go just try them out, figure out what you like, and then ask questions. You know, Google the producer and the bottle and see if there's any notes about how it was made. Wine is fascinating and there's so many more components to it than anybody really considers. I mean, I went to a wine dinner on Friday night and got to meet one of the top farmers of California, which was so fascinating because I love wine and I have studied wine so much, but I haven't considered the farming of it as much as I should. So it got this whole new perspective. But yes, try, try, try. And if you're interested in it, look into it a little bit more. I think there's a lot more to wine than people recognize. And with that, I'm going to finish my glass of wine Thank you for listening to another episode of Vino with Pino. If you love this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, all the things. It really helps. Share it with your friends. Help get the word out. I love doing it and I really appreciate all of you. Cheers, everyone. Say goodbye, Pino.